So when we started this re-entry series a couple weeks ago, I told you the story of the Apollo 13 astronauts. If you remember the Tom Hanks film from the 90s, you know these astronauts were headed to the moon and this explosion on their craft forced them to abandon the moon and find their way back to Earth under these precarious circumstances. They weren't sure whether their ship would even hold up as they faced the heat that happened to them on re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Their, their, their spacecraft had a damaged heat shield. It, it, it had them so afraid that they might actually burn up on re-entry. And we talked about the fact that they were given this 500-point checklist of things to do and things to check as they prepared for re-entry, even though they had no control over whether they would even survive their landing. Now, miraculously, they made it, and they went on, each of these astronauts went on with their lives. Now here's the thing, what I didn't know until this week was a bit more of the story from one of the specific astronauts who survived that journey. And this astronaut's name was James Lavelle. 50 years after that mission, Lavelle was interviewed and he told the story of what had happened after they made it back to Earth. He was doing all these press interviews. People wanted to know what had happened. They wanted to know the fullness of the story. They wanted to know how they had returned safely. And in those days, apparently, earlier mission astronauts were told that if they had to abandon their attempts at getting to the moon, they would always be given another chance. So Lavelle and the others aboard Apollo 13, they, they weren't given that same promise. So of course, in one of the interviews after their return, Lavelle was asked, do you want another chance at landing on the moon? And Lavelle says that, that for a moment he thought, here's my opportunity, here's my chance. I can let it be known that I want to get back there. And he said he was sitting in this room full of press and an audience was listening. And he said he opened his mouth and he said, well, I, and as he looked across the audience in the very back of the room, one hand raised and gave a huge thumbs down. And it was Lavelle's wife, Marilyn. And Lavelle simply said, well, I think we better let some other people try it. In, in June of this year, Lavelle and Marilyn will have been married for 68 years. When the pandemic stay-at-home orders first came out in our region, I was supposed to be leaving for a trip to California to work with some pastors on the following Monday. It was the same weekend that everything got shut down. And I think we got the notices on a Friday and I was supposed to leave Monday. And I was so bummed because that particular trip, I was supposed to take one of our daughters, Malia, with us, with me. I, I travel a lot and this was one of the, the first trips she was going to get to go with her dad. I was disappointed, but she was crushed to be missing out on this trip to California. Have you ever set your hopes on a destination like that, only to end up having the trip fall through? You ever thought you were going to be going somewhere and something happens and it gets canceled? Malia and I were supposed to see the sights of California. We had everything mapped out because we're both planners. We knew we were going to go through Hollywood. We knew we were headed to the beach. There was even this, this just enormous bookstore that us nerds wanted to go and hang out in for a couple hours. But none of it came to pass because of the pandemic. Everything shifted kind of overnight. When I heard James Lavelle's story of turning down a return trip to the moon, I wondered if he felt that same disappointment. I wondered if his 
And as glad as this astronaut was to have made it safely back to Earth, to have survived re-entry, I, I wondered if, if, just as fortunate as he felt to still be alive, I wondered if a part of him wished for one more shot at going to the moon. You know, we've been talking for a few weeks now about this story of Jesus healing a man possessed by this multitude of demons known as Legion. And we've talked about how the different elements of this story speak to us as, as we are re experiencing re-entry to our own society in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, if you've been with us online, you know this story centers on Jesus and on his disciples. And we know the story is, starts with them entering this foreign territory, going out of bounds where the Gentiles lived, a place that Jewish people would not have gone. And they entered this space where Gentiles, who were considered unclean by the Jewish religion, dwelled and lived. And in the middle of this unclean territory, Jesus meets a man who's been tormented for some time by this demonic oppression. And he's been living among the tombs. The writer of the Gospel of Mark actually gives us a bit more depth into this man's torment. Mark says that the man was naked, which we've talked about, and the man would actually cut himself with stones. And that even as people had tried to bind him with chains, hold him captive, tie him down, that this man, under the demonic powers that controlled him, would break the chains and would beat those who came to confront him. And we've talked about how out of bounds Jesus was going, right? Not only was this Gentile territory, this was a naked man living among tombs. Two more strikes against Jewish laws of cleanliness. And along with this, as Jesus casts the demons out of the man, we see them enter this giant herd of pigs, another unclean symbol of this region in the Jewish eyes. And, and we see the pigs running off a cliff and all of the pigs dying and, and Jesus being asked to leave. And so in, in the past couple weeks, we've drawn out some principles for re-entry, even as we're seeing our own community and, and the cities around us and the regions around us, the nation itself, try to get back to normal we've been dealing with our own hearts in this strange season. I encouraged you that first of all, in the midst of re-entry, you have to name what's in you to see what God will do with you. I, I want to continue to say to you, whatever anxiety you're feeling, whatever fear or loneliness or hesitancy you're feeling in these days, the first way to deal with that, the re-entry checklist, the first way to deal with that is to actually name it to actually bring it honestly before God and let him know and invite him to deal with it in whatever way he wants. Jesus confronts the demons by saying, what is your name? And the demon says, we are legion because we are many. For many of us, there are a lot of things going on all at once in us, and we have to be honest about that. And then last week I told you that Jesus always messes things Right? In, in the most beautiful ways possible. When, when Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, we find the townspeople running out to the scene of this healing and asking Jesus and his followers, will you please just leave our region? They're so upset that their pigs have run off a cliff, that their economic livelihood has been terminated, that all they want is for Jesus to go away. His work changed their systems. They were forced to respond to that. And, and we see this, right? Like even today, 
We see this. We see this in multiple ways. Even as we re-enter our quote-unquote normal ways of life, God may want to shift some things around. He may want to shake us loose of some things that we were too held captive by. He, he may want to make some changes in us and around us. Some of us, that's individually. Some of us, that's corporately. He may want to just shift some stuff. And part of unhinging our systems is that often that's how healing actually occurs in our lives. But there's one more part of this story that we haven't considered, and that's that's what happens to the man who was healed. We haven't talked about that yet. You see, we've talked about Jesus confronting the demons, and we've talked about the townspeople's response, but we haven't considered the perspective of this man. We haven't talked about the aftermath for this man. Look at how Mark describes this at the end of this story. This is in Mark chapter 5, verse 18, and it, it tells us that as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been, past tense, who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. So I want you to think about this moment, right? And to think well about this moment. I want you to think about this demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed, the man who used to have demons, I want you to think about his existence for, for who knows how long he's lived this experience of hell, right? As, as Mark tells the story, he was a known nuisance in the community. He was most likely forced out of town to live among the graves. The people of that town probably said, you cannot stay here. People don't know what to do with him. He's the bum on the street with mental issues. He gets loud at times. He gets angry at others and, and violent when it's necessary. They've, they've tried to chain him up, but he's too strong and he's hurt some people. But in this moment, as the same townsfolk who've tormented him in the past arrive and they find him sitting calmly clothed now, talking to Jesus in his right mind, the gospel writers say, he hears these same people asking, maybe demanding, that Jesus just leave their region. Think about this guy's perspective. Jesus, the man who finally brought peace to this tormented demoniac, is being asked to leave. So the man begs to go with Jesus. He pleads with Jesus. He might have said, there's no life for me here. Can I just come with you? I just want to be where you are. Surely to be with Jesus would be better than trying to reestablish life in this setting. Surely that would be a better existence than living among these townspeople. He wants to, you could say, he wants to get to California, and he knows Jesus can get him there. I wonder, have you ever found yourself begging God to do something for you? Longing to see him show up or, or maybe meet you in the middle of your pain? Or spare you from something you knew was coming? Like, like this is the prayer you've been praying for years, waiting for God to finally answer. This is where this man is. He, he's not just making a request. He's not praying that prayer, God be with me. He's begging. Right? He's crying out. He's pleading. He wants Jesus to take him with him and get him out of this pain and this place that has caused his pain. But but watch Jesus' response here. In, in verse 19, here's what we're told. Jesus did not let him. Now, just pause there because there's more to this verse we'll talk about, but don't miss this. Before we go on, you need to write this phrase down. You need to circle this in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, go get a tattoo, whatever it is you do to remember stuff, but don't miss this. Miss this. Jesus did not 
let him. He begged Jesus to go with him. Jesus did not let him. Can I say sometimes God says no? And sometimes he says no immediately after he's healed you. He loves you. He shows up in your life. He sets you free from your captivity. He heals what's tormenting you. And then he says no to your very next request. He answers your prayer, but it's not the answer you want. And, and you know what? That doesn't make him less God. Just because God says no doesn't mean he's not answering. Listen, wherever you are, I, I want you to hear this out of love, but you need to hear this truth. Some of you... Some of you have walked away from Jesus. You've walked away from faith because he wouldn't become the type of savior that you wanted. You've abandoned God because he didn't fit your theological constructs. But, but you need to know this. When, when God tells you no, it's because he knows the full scope and the trajectory of your life. And he has a better end in mind than you do. We here in Buchanan, we missed the Strawberry Festival this year, didn't we? Like, I, I was thinking this week about a few years ago, the festival was in town, and, and my wife Carrie and I were getting ready to take our kids. We had this trip planned to Disney World. It was coming just a few weeks away, and our kids didn't know it. We were going to surprise them. So we had saved the money. We'd, we'd made the plans. We'd booked our lodging. We'd saved some more money. Like, the whole deal that happens when you make the pilgrimage to Disney. We had it all ready to go. And we were leaving in like two weeks, and it was Strawberry Festival weekend right here in our town. And so, like every other parent in this community or in your community, when the festival rolls in, we were spending way too much time eating greasy food. We were listening to our kids beg. We just let us ride the carnival rides. And I remember hitting a point where I told them no so many times that I finally just grabbed our girls, I circled them up, and I said, Listen, I know you want to ride these rides, but they're too expensive. Too, I know, it sounds like an old grumpy dad, but they're too expensive, right? And there's something better coming. And I'm not telling you what it is. I can't tell you what it is right now, but you need to trust me right now. I'm telling you no right now so I can tell you yes later. Now listen, I'm, I'm a failure of a father at times, but I get this principle. Sometimes, sometimes the no right now makes way for the yes later on. God doesn't become less God simply because he gives you an answer you don't like. So watch and listen to Jesus's response to this man and his begging one more time. Jesus, verse 19 of Mark 5, Jesus did not let him, but he said, now listen, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man begs Jesus to go with him, and Jesus says no. He doesn't let him come with him, but watch. He gives him a clear redirection. Go home to your own people. I want you to think again about what this man must have been feeling. One, one writer says it this way. The words that Jesus said, this is what the writer says, the words, return to your home, must have made this man's heart sink. Home for him was not a warm place of sentimental Memories. Home was a place of memories so dark and pain-filled that he likely just wanted to escape them and never go back. But Jesus told him to go back. It was a hard call to return to the place where he had known demons, chains, tombs, self-mutilation, public humiliation, abuse, loneliness, and maybe even suicidal torment. But it was there to go home that the grace of God in his life would shine the brightest. Sometimes to follow Jesus means being sent back to a place 
where once all we knew was desolation and indescribable pain. The thought of returning there conjures up fears of our old demons and the people who knew us as we were back then. What Jesus wants us to know is that his salvation, his protection, those things extend even to those old, horrible, haunted places. If he can break, listen, if he can break the death grip that Satan once had on us and set us free, then he can redeem even the places of our former slavery, and he can make them showcases of God's amazing grace. Isn't this the message we need as we think about reentry? Don't we need to be brought again and again face to face with the stark reality that Jesus is Lord, he's King, he's Savior, and he's Redeemer of every single place where we find ourselves. God reigns over our past, he shepherds our present, and he creates and imagines our future. And wherever he sends us, he too will be there with us. So the scene in this story ends like this. Mark tells us this. So the man went away. He went away from Jesus, and he began to tell, listen to this, he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people, all the people were amazed. And at that end, this moment with the demoniac or the former demoniac, he goes back to his own region and he shares the the good news. He became the one who had once been naked, once been tormented, once been out of his mind, and now he's the messenger of Jesus telling the story of how he'd been rescued. And he tells his story throughout, the writer says, the Decapolis, which was actually, and I love this, the Decapolis was actually more than one place. It was actually a series of ten cities, kind of all scattered in this little region. What a cool end to this scene, right? This man healed, going town to town, telling his story. But actually, it's not even the end of the story. Let me show you one more part of this. A couple chapters later, after Jesus was asked to leave the territory, and the man who had been healed was sent to proclaim the gospel there, in Mark chapter 7, just a couple chapters later, here's what we read. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. Jesus is coming back to the place that he was asked to leave. And he proceeds here to perform more miracles. He heals a deaf and a mute man. And Mark tells us this, and I love this part. you got to catch this. Mark tells us right here, people were overwhelmed with amazement. And they said, he has done everything well. Jesus has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear And the mute speak. And then right there in the Decapolis, he goes on. If you read this, Jesus goes on to feed 4,000 people in a region that just a couple chapters earlier had said, Jesus, please leave our area. Now, I don't know if you caught all this, but this is where re-entry comes into play. Think about this flow of events one more time. Jesus heals a tormented man who had been cast out of his own community. That's where this story starts. The people then of that community ask Jesus to leave their region because he's disturbing their existence. He's messing with their economy. He's messing with their life. Then the man says, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no. I want you to go back to your town. I want you to go back to your people and tell them the good things God has done for you because they won't let Jesus do that. So later on, Jesus returns to the region and is welcome to heal and feed thousands then who are amazed and overwhelmed at his works. Can I just tell you how much hope this story gives me 
in this cultural moment where we all find ourselves, this moment of re-entry. See, throughout the time we've been staying home in this pandemic, I've been telling Carrie how hopeful I am that this will reshape us as followers of Christ. I can't wait to see how God is going to use this season. I'm praying for revival, and I'm wondering what good will come for the sake of the good news of the gospel. And this story demonstrates all those things. So as we close this series today, I want to give you one more point for our re-entry checklist. I want to tell you one more thing that's going to help you survive and thrive as we look at re-entry. As, as you and your families or you and your friends are navigating what it means to jump back into life as we know it, to figure out what new normal means, I want to give you one more principle that I think can set a trajectory of hope for us. It's simple. This principle is simple. Are you ready? Here it is. Don't go back to normal. Don't do it. That's it. Plain and simple. Don't go back to normal. Please don't go back to normal. I talked to folks this week who said when the pandemic hit, right, when their jobs changed overnight, when their way of life changed overnight, all they did was sit at home and cry because of what they lost. I've talked with others who have been scared to death because of the economic system that we're a part of that seems to be crumbling in some ways, or, or they're scared for their jobs. I've, I've met with and counseled those who are terrified that the minute we reopen, the minute they go somewhere public, the virus is going to spike and there's going to be no protection from it. Listen, early on when the closures were so shocking and the world had changed so quickly in the face of the coronavirus, I, I read this quote from Barbara Brown Taylor, and it's been in my mind ever since. Don't miss this quote. Here's what it said. Human beings do not lose control of their lives. Human beings don't lose control of their lives. Then she says this, what we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control of our lives in the first place. Now, many of us have seen that quote. We don't lose control. We lose the illusion that we were ever in control. But she goes on to say it this way, and that is a hard, hard lesson to learn. So hard that most of us have to go back to the blackboard again and again and again because we keep thinking that there must be some way to work it out, some way to master the human condition so there are no leaks in it, no scares, no black holes. We want to control everything about our, our lives. And she says, as far as I know, it cannot be done. Maybe that's why it's called the human condition. Like asthma or myopia, being human is a condition we live with, a splendid one in most respects, but one condition with certain built-in limitation. limitations. Some things will budge for us and some will not. We cannot fly. We cannot live forever. We cannot control everything that happens to us. That is the human condition. And it can be frightening. Because what that means is we cannot choose all the circumstances of our lives. All we can really choose is how we respond to them. And that's why it takes a lot of courage to be a human being. If anything, if anything has been striking in this season, it's that our own way as humans of defining ourselves can be lost in a moment. It can be gone. It can be stripped away. And re-entering something after that, when that's happened, that can be terrifying. But what if that's exactly the place Jesus is calling us to? What if re-entry is more than an exploration of what might happen in regards to the virus? 
What if re-entry for us becomes a commission to the people of Christ to reclaim the embodiment of hope and courage in the same way as Jesus sent that healed man back to his own community? Do you know what's taken place in us as a new community since we were forced to stop meeting about 11 weeks ago? Yeah, we, we had to stop gathering. And we miss you all greatly. But you know what else has taken place in us? See, I, I believe what took place is we woke up. With the help of some incredible people, we innovated. Like so many other churches that I've seen, and we've seen hundreds, if not thousands of folks accessing online the songs, the teaching, and the way of life that we share together through the online venues that we're able to put out there. We've seen friends who were far from Jesus take steps toward, toward him. Some of you that are logging on, people have prayed that you would connect with the church, and you're finally doing it. We've seen leaders emerge and be trained who want to help us launch our very first group of house churches. And you know where those house churches are being launched? Listen, this is so cool. As close to us as right here in Buchanan. There's house churches launching here. But you know where else they're being launched? They're being launched in places like Charlestown, West Virginia, and Morgantown, West Virginia. And then we have someone who said, I want to launch a house church, and they live clear down in North Carolina. And we've got a connection that's exploring this in Nebraska. And, and I believe this is going to be happening and keep happening. See, I think the church following Jesus beyond Sundays is finally where we're actually headed, and it actually took a pandemic to get us there. And I'm inviting you to that type of life. As a pastor, I'm inviting you, exhorting you, pleading with you, don't go back to normal. Don't do it. You have friends like that demoniac. And they're held captive by the powers of hell. They're hurting. They're tormented. They're lonely. They're longing for some identity that might call to them and call them away from their own pain. And if you follow Jesus, you have the very words and the hope of him alive in your heart, which means you're sent. You are sent like that man to tell how much the Lord has done for you. But the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you re-enter? Will you be bold enough to proclaim? Will you pray for those for whom God's heart longs to know? Will you be faithful enough to speak into their lives? Will you engage what it means to be the followers of Christ, called to your own Decapolis for the sake of the good news? What does re-entry look like for you? What does it look like for you? Name what's in you. Ask what needs to change. Don't ever go back to normal.